Welcome back to Following Know It On, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 37, and we're doing chapters 50 through 54 of Words of Radiance. We have five chapters again this week for the third week in a row. Actually, we have five chapters. And we have not one, not two, but three Adolin point of view chapters to do this week. Elliot, how are you feeling about about this week? Feeling good. Feeling good. It's definitely been a lot of, of reading lately, but a lot of really good stuff. I feel like Words of Radiance is really getting into its stride here. So it's been it's been cool stuff. It's been it's been worth the the extra work. Paul, how about you? I can definitely agree. These were some really fun chapters. We got to see a lot of interesting stuff, so I can agree. I feel like we've kind of gotten past the like low middle of the book hump almost um, where it's slowing down. So I really enjoyed these. Okay. Do you, do you Paul have two words to summarize these five chapters? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I have two. Uh, My two words for this week were discovery and vengeance. Discovery and vengeance. Okay. Elliot, how about you? Mine for these chapters are sneaking and revealing. Sneaking and revealing. Okay, cool. Let's discuss these words. All right, Paul, let's start with vengeance, if you would. What what does vengeance mean? Of course. So uh, there's a few things of of vengeance here, one of which I feel like there's a lot of vengeance uh, with Eshenai and Adolin. There's a lot of kind of confusion there, and we as the reader know that there's a lot more going on. But Eshenai saying that the only way to end this is if you kill all of us and all this stuff. Um it's a little abrasive, I would say. Right. Um, and then also with Adolin's duel uh, later on, I feel like there's a lot of bad blood kind of going on and, and people get upset. And the guy who duels feels he's been cheated again, all that stuff. So that's super fun. It even relates to Shalon, I would say. Not in a full-fledged sense, but... Uh, she sees some things that she probably wants vengeance for. So, uh-huh. <laughs> yes, we will talk about that later. <laughs> we will. All right, Elliot. Oh, wait, we have another word for you, Paul. What's the other one? Mm-hmm. My other word is discovery, largely for the moment with uh, Shalon, our Shalon time there. Um, that was the big reason. Kaladin's got some big discovery about himself he does yes that's right i'm glad you reminded me of that because that's actually initially why i chose the word <laughs> but i just forgot it now but yes uh, kaladin starts discovering his some more of his search binding abilities and he really starts to experiment and, and train with that so some good self-discovery i guess all right cool uh elliot so i'll I'll talk about revealing first because I picked it for pretty much all the same reasons Paul picked discovery pretty much. Yeah. That bit with Shalon and Amaram and then Kaladin kind of maybe revealing a little bit more about what he can do kind of a really chapter 52 is a really interesting chapter. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it here, but it's very different than a lot of chapters we've, we've read before. So interesting, interesting read there. And then sneaking. I have to say the word sneaking in Smeagol's voice every time because he says that. Sneaking. I was thinking uh, the same thing. Sneaking because there's a lot of sneaking going on in this chapter. Shalon is is sneaking around Amram's house. She's hiding inside of boulders. She's doing all kinds of stuff. And then we've got other other characters that are doing a little bit of sneaking too. I mean, Moash is still kind of sneaking around right now. We don't really know where where he's at Kaladin's even really sneaking around. He's going out into the plateaus to do his discovery bit. So everyone's sneaking around and we're, 
revealing some important information. While we're on the Lord of the Rings references, there's the the scene where Shallan paints a rock over herself just makes me think of that scene in the Two Towers, uh, where the cloaks, yeah, where Frodo just like puts his cloak over himself. Yeah, I don't know if that's in the theatrical edition, but it is. Is it okay? Mm-hmm. All right, so Adolin, chapter chapter fifty and chapter fifty one. Adolin is on a high right after his date with Shallan. He feels like it's going well. And he's in this bunker that they're hiding from the high storm from last week. And Elit is there. He hasn't dueled him yet. That's coming later in the episode. But they they have like kind of a clash in the in the bunker there. They're not the best of friends and they're definitely rivals. Looking forward to their duel. And Sadius is also there. And so there's an interesting conversation between Sadius and uh Adolin. Anyone wanna wanna pick this this scene up? Anyone get stuff from this yeah. chapter? So you could say that there's a little bit of vengeance going on here. Sure. Um if I can drop one of my words in there. Um I, I think this was interesting how so, so Sadius and Adolin talk a little bit and and Adolin is very upfront and forward about how he's unhappy about uh, what Sadius is trying to do around there and Sadius is coming from the point that I'm the only person trying to do the right thing at this point or save a part of Alethkar Um, and with that he also says which I thought was interesting um he talks about how much he cared for Dalinar and Gavilar. Yes. Um, and stuff, but he says that they're both dead now that, you know, the Blackthorn is gone and obviously Gavilar died um, and things like that. But I guess it made me a little curious as to how different current Dalinar is from the Blackthorn. They always allude mm-hmm. to it. They always talk about it, but uh, Sadius says it as they're like it's just not even the same person, not even remotely. And then Adolin just tells him straight up that he hates him. So, <laughs> yeah. I I also picked up in this this segment here that Sadius talks about how he's renounced his High Prince of Information title which I thought was was perhaps important. He's you know taking a, a step there in, in rejecting the the rule of Elokar basically of, of you know kind of taking a step away from the rules and I think that does take maybe a, a card out of Dalinar's deck and that they're gonna have a harder time kind of making him have to stick by the rules if to shun some of them. So not only is he provoking Adolin here, he's he's also revealing that he's renounced that title. Can't hold Sadius to a honor code if he's just not even playing by the rules, so. Right. But yeah, part of you just wants Adolin to just take him out right there, then and there, but yeah, I suppose that would not go down so well. Well, he does think about it. Yeah, I was going to say he even considers it right there on the spot. He, he's he tells himself, "Well, I could kill him right now. What's the worst that would happen? I get executed. <laughs> might well... be might be worth it." <laughs> Adolin does not like not like. I would even say Adolin dislikes Sadius more than Dalinar does, and Dalinar took the the betrayal really personal, but Adolin has the emotion behind it. He's he's very impassioned about this. He wants to kill Sadius. He genuinely does want to kill Sadius. And Dalinar maybe that's maybe that's what Dalinar wants as well, but he would only do that if it improves if it builds the kingdom up. He would approach it from a more level-headed position than Adolin does right now. Dalinar is definitely more logic and Adolin is definitely more emotion i think you hit the nail on the head there 
once Sadius and Adolin are done with their little dispute conversation, whatever you want to call it, Adolin goes back to his war camp and finds Dalinar's guards, like, looking at, well, bridge four guards, looking at a bunch of writing on the floor. And it's pretty obvious now that Dalinar is writing this himself. It's from his own knife, and Dalinar was the only one there. So it Dalinar, during his visions, is writing cryptic messages on the floor. Do we have any more thoughts about this? We've seen this before. We We have seen this before, but I don't think we got a chance to talk about it the last time we saw these numbers, but I was actually reconsidering my position the last time we saw these numbers appear because I think the last time we saw these were when Zeth appeared and they all, you know, they try to escape. They all run down the passage. Zeth comes, fight, fight, you know, whatever. They come back and then they see that there's letters scratched on the door or on the wall or something like that. I kind of took that scene as more of a, but wait, Dalinar was out with everyone fighting Zeth. So it couldn't have been him that scratched it. So this is maybe bringing it back to definitive proof that it was Dalinar, I guess. There, I was more convinced before we saw that those letters with the Zeth chapter, but yeah, I, I'm pretty convinced it's Dalinar doing the scratching at this point. Dalinar assumes that it's him, so yeah, doing the, doing the sneaking, yes, sneaking. <laughs> there's a there's a quick mention of Shen at the end of this at the end of this chapter. Adolin notices that there's a a parchment in amongst bridge four and he's armed. And he brings it up to Dalinar and Dalinar says, Oh yeah, I I did that as an experiment. Did any did either of you catch this? I did. I did. I'll I'll be honest, I didn't quite catch all the stuff with Dalinar being the our our notorious scratcher, but I did notice this like right off the bat and I was really curious to see what happened and I thought it, I thought it was kind of cool but also I don't know it didn't seem quite like Dalinar because he, he was basically saying that like Adolin asks why would you give a parchment weapon and he was just like I wanted to see what would happen. Like, I'm curious what's gonna what's gonna happen, um, and stuff. And I don't, I don't know what to make of that entirely. I don't know if it's like an error or like probably not. But it didn't seem quite like Dalinar. But at the same time, it did. Nothing super special on that. But I did. I did definitely think about that for a while. I I kind of passed over this a little bit. I, I noticed it when they brought it up. I didn't it didn't seem too important here in this moment. There I mean, I think it's it's good that Adolin is noticing this and that they're, you know, keying in on how is this gonna go. We've just given a parchment more freedom than a parchment maybe has ever had before or has ever had in a, a hundred years or something like that. So having their attention on a parchment is good based on you know, what we know and what Shalon knows about what she's going to try and, you know, communicate to them. So this is probably a good thing for them, but yeah, all right. We've been, we've been watching Shen for a while now waiting to see what's going to happen with him. So now Adolin and Dalinar are maybe a little keep more keyed into that now. Speaking of parchment, Parshendi, void bringers whatever you want to whatever you want to call them they we have a ch- we have a chapter 51 where Adolin and Eshenai's meeting doesn't go totally to plan and by totally to plan I mean at all Eshenai is not interested in in peace anymore they made this they made this uh this meeting with the Alethi and then Esh and I achieved storm form, and we're assuming that's why they are no longer interested in in peace. 
this this chapter honestly makes me makes me sad they've they've been at war for what like six years now yeah six years of war between these two people and they could have had peace they finally finally are getting to talk and they had a chance at at peace and we know that esh and i wanted wanted to talk peace she was ready to talk about finding a peaceful end to this and yet here we have the the new esh and i who's taken over by Stormform, who's yeah just so blatantly opposed to any kind of peace and basically just says you know over our dead bodies pretty much is how she says it like this i had to pause for a second like this this is this is really sad for me that they they could have had peace and i feel like we're heading to the exact opposite of that i feel like we're headed towards devastating destruction they were like a week away from actually establishing something and a week too late yeah my first thought with this was yeah it's incredibly sad like I, i definitely agree with elliot there um i could picture this really well in like a movie or show setting as well um you know, it's just like that you're yelling at your TV, like, why couldn't it have been like no. a, week, a week different? Like, you know, um, and stuff. So it's it's kind of frustrating almost because we, as a reader, obviously know that Ash and I wanted to resolve this. And then it finally, like, they get a meeting set up and then she goes and it does not go well. I do have to say, though, with this, I'm really happy kind of with how Adolin was at it. Like, it, it specifies that he... So Eshnai comes in and basically says, I don't care about a peace treaty. A peace <laughs> treaty. <laughs> Excuse me. I don't care about a peace treaty. Uh, you're going to have to kill us or we're going to kill you. You know, like, this is going to end in violence. Um, and then Adolin, he at least like doesn't just get hot headed and let, let it stop there. He stops and is like, "Wait, why? Please explain." Like he didn't squander that moment, and I was very happy about that. Um, but that was about the only good thing that come from it, unfortunately. And and interestingly, the answer to that question. That, that he gets is actually a little bit of information for us. I think he, he stops her as she's trying to leave. And, you know, he says, why, why this whole war? What, why are you doing what you're doing? And she gives him a bit of an answer. Actually, she says that Gavilar should never have revealed his plans to them that night. And, you know, kind of leaving the implication there that he Gavilar apparently told the Parshendi something. That he was planning to do something. And they killed him for it. And I think it even mentions the the return of our gods or something like that. And so, as usual, this leads into more questions, of course, though, of what was Gavilar planning? What was he doing? And how is it tied to the return of the Parshendi gods who we, we've kind of picked up by now? We know that they fear their gods or they, they're driven to try and make sure their gods don't turn their attention to them. So Gavilar was obviously going to do something that was going to bring that attention on them, either intentionally or unintentionally. I feel like this is a, a another small piece towards figuring out that puzzle. This, this specific puzzle is really, really funny to me because each prologue of each book is the night Gavilar died from a different point of view. And so you you get a little bit more each book and then you kind of just get left in the like left to wonder the entire book with the <laughs> with more with more hints, but that that one specifically is, is funny to me. This is a side note. Um you mentioned about you know how the prologue every time it's kind of that same night from a different perspective just realized that 
from Yasa's perspective, she died shortly after, and I'm really hoping that's not going to be a recurring theme. Like, we're going to see their perspective, and then, then whoever whoever's perspective we saw is just going to die. That'd be kind of sad. But anyways, moving, moving on. Are you saying you are afraid for Zeth? Because we've seen Zeth's perspective of that night. I guess that already ruins my <laughs> my idea. So Zeth is the exception, right? If there's anything we've learned about Zeth, he's kind of an exception. True. So we'll see. True. Before we move on, I do want to highlight the beginning. Eh, beginning, maybe, of this chapter, where Adolin stands up to Dalinar. Dalinar wants to go out on this plateau himself. And he says, no, I need to be do- doing this. It's my uh, peace treaty, whatever. And Adolin, tell- Adolin go- shoots right back at him and says, no, father, you're too important for this. The Parshendi might have some weird plan involving Zeth here because that's that's been a trend lately. So you're going to stay here and I'm going to go out. And I think it's a really, a really nice highlight for where Adolin is now. And where he was when we met him, like at halfway through the Wave Kings, so he he definitely stands up to his father when he feels it's important, and yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. It it is another cool Adolin moment. I I actually agree with you there that not so much that he's like standing up to his father or or arguing or pushing back against him but but more so just that he's he's moving in a direction like we the the Adolin we first met was passionate but maybe didn't quite care so much now Adolin seems to care more he seems right. to be more invested in what's going on here such to to the point where he's now standing up and being like no Dad, you're not going out there. You're much more valuable than I am towards our cause. Like I feel like the Adolin we first met probably wouldn't have cared about the cause quite so much. So he's 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 changed. You guys ready for chapter fifty two? There's a lot to unpack in this chapter. Definitely. Barely. So Kaladin's flying around, and Shallan is sneaking around. Who do we want to talk about first? Well, first of all, I want to talk about how different just the format of this chapter is than any other chapter we've we've read, I think, in Way of Kings or Words of Radiance up to this point. We've had chapters that have switched perspective in the middle of the chapter. I think we've even had chapters that have done it more than once. This chapter, though, at least in my copy, switches pretty much every page. You get one page of Kaladin and then one page of Shalon and then one page of Kaladin and one page of Shalon. And it it kind of threw me at first, actually, jumping from the the two of them, especially just because I actually cared more about the Shalon chapter than I did mm. the the Kaladin chapters. It was like, wait, no, don't tell me about Kaladin. He's he's zipping around and flying around. Great. Get get back to Shalon. I want to know what she's gonna find there. But I I think about halfway through, I, I, I appreciated it. The, the pacing of this chapter was really intriguing and gripping. You you wanted to know what each person, Kaladin and Sean, was discovering in that moment to to steal your your word, Paul. So it was it was an adrenaline packed chapter from start to finish. It was I. I don't know if it's just because we're getting further through this story and I'm kind of understanding the people and the places and stuff more, but I feel like a lot of these chapters I can picture in my head really like vividly or at least a lot better than before. And I picture it as, I guess, like a movie or a show. Um, and I feel like this was really cool and the Im- Im- imagery, I'm having a hard time saying words tonight, I guess. <laughs> the imagery is cool. <laughs> Um, like with Kaladin, like actually flying around and right. talking about him running on the wind and stuff, like that's just super cool. And I just like pictured that, um, as like a super cool like movie moment, um, but also pitted against like the dramatic 
really dramatic stuff going on with Shawan. I, I agree that in this chapter, I was much more like, all right, let's see what happens with Shawan. Because she's kind of... Kaladin's kind of just zooming around. She's like in a dangerous, like she's like really making a big risk doing what she's doing and stuff. Like it has you on the edge of your seat kind of. So I was, yeah, really invested and she did a a good job, you know, of kind of disguising herself, sneaking around. I I was pretty worried that she was going to get called out. Like you're not the real whoever or whatever, but right. She did pretty good. Let's talk about Shalon. She hides as a messenger boy, walks in, hides as a nurse. No, sorry. Uh, maid. Thank you. Maid, that's the word I was looking for. Walks up the stairs, talks to Amram, walks back down the stairs. Does she hide as amaram so she she like hides as the maid but then eventually goes back into the the map room comes out as amaram right mm-hmm. and then i think ultimately ends up as again so yeah like four or five changes in there so like plot development aside we're getting some cool discoveries of what shalon can and can't do with her things with her powers and turns out she can do quite a bit she can change on the fly she can pretend sort of to be different people she doesn't have like voice down but yeah i i noticed too that she can now like draw a picture in the morning study that picture and then later that day she can still create that image around herself and i think she even thinks through kind of the process there of it. if she goes longer than a day it doesn't work like her her brain can't re- quite remember it perfectly enough to create the right illusion but that's pretty useful right if she kind of like preps her her spells if you will in the morning perhaps you know it gets them all ready and then she could cast them anytime through the day to compare it to like a and d reference but interesting way that's that's working for her, and she uses it quite effectively here in this chapter skipping ahead a little bit to the she does so well here to the point where the ghost bloods who are watching the house they don't even realize that she's made it into the room and out with and they've been watching the entire time so they assume she's failed but no she's done so well that they had no idea that she was successful all right Let's address it. When she comes out, talks to Amram. Amram gets a little glassy-eyed and summons his blade, and Shalon stops listening and stares at the blade. Why, Elliot? I called it because it's Helleran's blade, which means that Amram took Helleran's blade from Kaladin, who took it from most likely Helleran, which means Kaladin... The shard bear that he killed was most likely Shalon's Shalon older brother, brother Helleran, which, man, the Eek. implications of that make me stop and have to think for a little bit. But yeah, I, I had a hunch on this one when I when I when if, when this first came up and I went back to the Way of Kings and saw that in that section where Amram is talking about that shard bearer, he mentions ghost bloods in that moment. I just knew it. I was like, Oh, that had to be Helleran. And it was, so this is, this is big. This is super big. So now Shalon thinks that Amaram killed her brother, but really Kaladin killed her brother. And I didn't even think about that when I was kind of my theory together. I didn't even realize that in this moment, Shalon jumps to the wrong conclusion, right? She, logically assumes that Amram killed her brother. So now she's got this whole vengeance thing stewing inside of her. I'm stealing all your words tonight, Paul. You, you had some good ones. Apparently <laughs> she, she's now going to be building up this, you know, revenge plot or whatever against Amram when Amram's not the one who killed her brother. It was Kaladin. So, Oh man. Defending Amram. 
Just wanted to right. highlight that again. All right, Paul. Elliot's completely right. What are your What are your thoughts? I, I mean, I was. My thought while reading it, like while reading it, I really thought Shalon was gonna like almost outlash or like do something then or get caught or something. Right. Or at least that's what I was very afraid of. Um, my biggest thought is how is she going to do whenever she actually goes to Shalon and like draws it and talks to him about it and stuff. Um, she has time to, I guess, like mentally prepare, so it'll be fine, but I'm really curious for that to happen. Um, as far as thoughts with Halloran, I kind of knew it was coming. Well, well I, mostly thanks to Elliot's like theory and stuff from before. We had talked about this a few times. And so definitely like was expecting it to happen. Like as soon as the situation was kind of described, I was like, he's going to pull up the shard blade and Shalon's going to have a cow. So, <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. But yeah, I I really liked that. That was kind of the big like oh like moment, you know, like when uh, it's crazy. When I was reading th- these chapters this week, I forgot that this was in here. I forgot that we get this reveal this early, and so when I read it, I was like, oh, I guess we're talking about this this week. So time to put that on the outline. <laughs> Going back just a smidgen, though, I feel like almost just as important as that big reveal right there is what Shalon actually finds in Amram's house. She finds the maps, right? Right. And she, she learns that Amram is somehow involved with Voidbringers and something much larger. He's got, like, notes that talk about reaching the center before the Alethi armies and notes on the Parshendi and some really intriguing stuff that really makes me wonder, one, what is Amram up to? And two, who is Amram working with? Because it's clearly not the Ghostbloods because they're out to get him right? or steal his info. He's clearly not working with Dalinar and, and Navani and everyone we know. It doesn't seem like he's working with Sadius. Sadius seems to be much more focused on just the the war camps and the politics all there and getting his power there. So is Amram like working with himself? Is he does he have his own agenda that he's working here? Or is there another organization that we don't know about yet that's uh, involved in all this? I I have lots of questions here and I feel like what Shalon has just discovered is just as important, if not maybe more so, the fact that she's just discovered he has her brother's old blade. I'm hoping we find something out about that whenever Shalon goes and and oh yeah, kind of hears the story. I don't know if we will, but yeah, I I'm really curious because I feel like Amram is one of our our biggest enigmas right now. Besides like Hoyd, Zeth, you know, like obvious huge ones, but. Uh, other than like normal characters, I guess um, we don't know what Amarim wants. We kind of know what Sadius wants, sort of, um, and we know what obviously Dalinar and them want. But yeah, I'm really curious because he's got to. He, he there's no way he, he's got to be up to no good, you know? Like right. He he has been presented to us as up until this point as one of our biggest antagonists, right? Kaladin hates him. We hate him. Shalon now hates him, but <laughs> for the wrong reasons. And he has is tied to the Voidbringers, tied to the Lethe armies here somehow, and we don't know yet. So something's happening. Something indeed. Kaladin's side of this of this chapter. He's flying around, still really happy that he's he's finally flying, and they have an interesting talk. They always have interesting talks, but 
this one, this one's interesting because they mention shard blades, they mention Zeth, they mention something else, but I don't, I don't remember. Does somebody want to talk about this for a little bit? Can can I actually open us with reading a little section here? Because sure. again, we get another we get another little tidbit here, another another piece of the puzzle that I feel like is is pretty important. And we've kind of theorized on this before, but this is really this is starting to nail it down for me. So Kaladin and Celia, they're having the conversation, they're talking about Zeth. You don't think he has a spren, Kaladin said, but how does he do what he does? The weapon, Syl said more confidently than she had before. It's something special. It was created to give abilities to men, much as our bond does. I feel like this has been hinted at before, but this is this is pretty clear right here. Sal Sil seems confident here, and she's clearly saying he doesn't have a spren. He gets his power from his weapon. Powers just like our bond that we have between spren and, and surge binder give give you powers so this this seems to definitively point to to the the fact for me that zeth is some kind of anomaly he's some kind of different shard bearer different surge binder than like the knight's radiant at least that's where i'm i'm pretty heavily leaning now that he's kind of a little bit outside that you know venn diagram a bit i don't know what you thought of that about that paul if you keyed in on that at all i did i did and honor blades are still these like i don't know it's it's the piece of the puzzle i feel like we know the least about even though it has been mentioned several times um we get the gist of what they do but i want to know why they do it or like how they do it right um like surely these armor blades had to be like made by something, right? Or like come from somewhere, and I don't know what I don't know what that is. There's got to be a lot more to it than that, because if not, then these honor blades seem a little overpowered, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm super curious too, and I I don't think I don't know that we can definitively say too that it's it's an honor blade, but that seems like the logical step, right? Because we know that honor blade. And and surge binder are are related. We've we've heard them mentioned in in conversations before. So it, it seems pretty logical that if Zeth has surge binder type abilities, but not a spren like a classical surge binder, then honor blade seems like the obvious choice. But yeah, what is an honor blade? Where do they come from? What are their limitations and rules and laws? Yeah, I I want to know all that too. And this is somewhat tied to this. Sill's dislike for shard blades and they have a conversation about this as well of Kaladin's trying to figure that out with Sill and Sill's not can't really answer but she gives him a little bit and Kaladin's saying so it's the people who hold them that's the problem and she's like well no but that's that's also the problem and Kaladin says well if I had a new shard blade can you make new shard blades is that fine and she's like yeah so yeah of course just go get one from the shard blade sure. store right you know um one thing i thought was interesting also i'm pretty sure it was in this chapter while they're talking about zeth um doesn't sill say like that they mentioned he doesn't have a spren but doesn't Kaladin questions that and still is like, well, he he doesn't have like a good kind of sprint or something or a sprint that I would like or consider to be a sprint or something. So isn't it kind of implied that Seth probably does have a sprint still, but it's just one Sill brushes off or doesn't care for or doesn't want to talk about? Um, that was my guess at least. I I think that I think that could still be on the table. I think some of those implications you're thinking of might have been one of the previous discussions that Kaladin and Sil had. I don't remember if it's this discussion so. or that one, but I don't think we've ruled that out at this point. I think that maybe he does have some sort of a type of bond that's just completely different than what like Kaladin and Sil have. It's a completely different type of spread. I, I think that still might be possible. 
one of the what, what you do or what Sill's confident of, I should say, right now is that Zeth is not getting his powers from a Spren like Kaladin is getting his powers from a mm. Spren. So Zesta might have a Spren, that's just not where his powers are coming from. His he has a sword that does that for him. I see. And the the idea that you were talking about, Trevor, of like forging a new shard blade, that perked my ears up as soon as I as soon as I saw that, heard that. That was like, oh wow, tell me more about that. That sounds awesome. Forging your own shard blade, like where do you have to go to do that? Mount Doom, I'm assuming. The shard blade referencing story. all the Lord of the Rings things tonight. Yeah, this is I'll, I'll throw in Star Wars. This is the the cryptic Jedi, you have to go forge your own lightsaber thing. And mm. how do you do that? Well, I don't know. Just just go do it. But wouldn't that be cool if Kaladin were to go on some kind of like journey to forge his own shard blade and, you know, create it with you know part of his personality in it and something like that. That'd be a cool plot line for him. There would be. I, I do. I, I was happy to see that because it did also show that Kaladin would use a shard blade if there wasn't, I guess, the negative thoughts behind it with that he feels towards the Knights Radiant. Um, because I've always been like a little bit frustrated with how he's just like, no shard blades, not touching it, not, you know, not going there. Right. But he's saying, you know, if there was a new shard blade that I guess didn't have the like, aspect of like the knight's radiant betrayal or surrender i guess behind it that he would and so i'm hoping for that and then kaladin comes back and talks to shen for a brief conversation or relaine apparently relaine his name which okay side note this is kind of funny to me because I accidentally called him Relaine on the podcast once and neither of you like acknowledged it and so I didn't I didn't bring it up again but I definitely accidentally said Relaine instead of Shen once and I noticed it and somebody in our comments section noticed it <laughs> but you guys did not so yeah, we were fine know. I was probably like, oh, that's some character I should know about, but didn't pay enough attention, you know? <laughs> but there was that's a, funny. Yeah, that, that, that's been one of my slips lately, is I accidentally called him called him <laughs> Relaine, and both of you were like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Relaine, I totally yeah. missed it. <laughs> totally missed it. Oh, man. I, I thought this was cool, though. Well, not cool. Interesting. Makes me very nervous, because Shen leaves, and... He won't say why. And the whole conversation we've had about Shen so far is, is he a Parshendi spy? And this is like, he's just like, oh, I think I'm going to, you know, got to go. No reason. Bit, going big on. red flag there. Like, yes, well, where are you going? Enormous, <laughs> enormous red flag. So I, I want to say that it's a little too obvious to be like, He's going to go tell the Parshendi stuff and whatever's going to happen. But also, you know, not going to rule that out, definitely, just because it's more obvious or more alluded to. Right. I, I'm remembering back to a few chapters ago. I don't remember how many chapters ago it was now. Shen at one point, or Relayner, or whatever his name is, tried to tell Kaladin something. He like pulled him aside at one point and was like, hey, boss, I got to tell you something. And then they get interrupted and and Shen never got to tell him what he was going to say. And now here's like that the final goodbye moment and he doesn't share any information with him. He just says, I got to leave and I can't tell you why. So now it's like, wait, you're leaving. You were going to spill something important and now you're not. Yeah, I'm... I'm super suspicious of Shen relaying at this point. I, I, I'm kind of thinking he's headed down the path of straight up Parshendi spy 
and he almost like turned himself into Kaladin and then changed his mind. And now he's off to go report to the Parshendi. I I'm afraid that's what's happening here. It's that, that makes a whole lot of sense. I want to, I want to want to play devil's advocate just because, well, it's not just like, I, I honestly feel like this is probably the case or it could very well be the case. I think that Shen may have been touched enough, you know, by Kaladin's leadership and example and giving him the spear and stuff that he's not. And we're supposed to think he's going to be a spy, but instead, I don't know, maybe he spies for the Alethi. I don't think that would ever happen, but just doing something, you know, less bad, just something more chill and maybe it'll come into play later. Um, but yeah, I don't think we'll know for a while, I guess. But I, I'm rooting for he's not a Parshendi spy. Definitely rooting for that. Any other thoughts on 52? Covered it. 53. Adolin wins himself a duel and gets himself another duel. That is less than ideal, but he still gets another duel. And he, in in the eyes of everybody else, he cheats again, right? Where there, it's not, it's not, a, it's not an honorable duel. And I, I believe Elit is who he's dueling. And I don't remember his cousin's name at the moment. Relis. Thank you. Relis is who he's trying to duel, right. but Relis won't agree with it, so he duels Elit instead, beats Elit. Relis comes in all storming mad and challenges him to a duel on the spot. Well, gets talked into a duel at a disadvantage, and that means that Adolin has to be numbers down when when fighting. Any thoughts? Yes, definitely. So I thought it was funny. So he kind of, or Adeline kind of does it because he's been advised to do something you know, miraculous or whatever, really make a show out of it. Right. And I want to say this was a step too far, maybe, <laughs> because um, uh, so he gets Relis to agree to the duel as but Relis can like bring a friend, you know, bring a buddy who's also a shard bear and that's like it's a complete two versus one seems like too much. We'll be honest, my biggest fear with this happening is that I don't know, maybe they make Adolin a little too good. Because I feel like realistically, unless the shard bears were really bad like really inexperienced or something like Renarin level maybe like, you know, with lock up in a fight or something right um i'm kind of afraid they're gonna make it be like oh adolin just breezed through him or something but i, I think it'll be it'll be a, a tough match but i don't know what's gonna happen so i think that's what i'm afraid of i'm afraid they're gonna make adolin like too good at at, at fighting with shards with shard blades i guess I think I'm I'm worried coming out of this chapter at the the, the fact that Adolin doesn't know who he's going to be dueling, right? I mean, up until this point, he's been like picking his dueling opponents specifically, you know, knowing that he can beat them. Well, now he's fighting against Relis, who sounds like he's going to be the toughest opponent he's faced yet, and some unknown other opponent, like the. Leaving that undefined seems like a really bad idea. It seems like Adolin's just assuming, oh, he's going to bring, you know, whoever his buddy is who's not going to be very good, and I can just, I'll take down Relis. He'll be the the tough one, and the other guy will just be a piece of cake. But what if Relis, like, finds someone else, you know, crazy to come in and fight with him, and then, you know, Adolin gets beat down? Like, like that's that's my worry here, that, you know, th this would be completely insane, but, like, what if, like, Zile comes out, as, you know, the other, <laughs> oh, you know, no. shard bear there, like you know, someone that just like completely outclasses 
Adolin, you know, what is he going to do? Like just the fact that he doesn't know who this other person is going to be sounds really dangerous. Definitely. And like, yeah, I, I agree. Like he doesn't know who he's going to fight. And so right. they can kind of prepare for him and exactly. he's going to have to go in pretty bold. You can only prepare so much. I feel like for one versus two fights. So I don't know. <laughs> He'll have his hands full for sure. But on the other hand, any shards that are brought against him, he can win in the duel. So he's kind of doubling down here, where if if Relis's buddy brings shard plate and shard blade, and he wins, he can get all four. So you're right, he can. <laughs> um, that high, is true. high risk, high reward, I guess. Yeah, and by high risk, it's kind of impossible a little bit of stupidity that <laughs> i mean a lot right um so i don't know what he's gonna do there maybe he'll miraculously like get his own sprint and learn surge binding or something in the next week that'd be sick oh my that'd be a way to win though <laughs> excuse me <laughs> yeah this duel's in two days yeah right. <laughs> week two days you know it comes when you need it most right He'll say the words or something. Do you think? Do you think Shalon being right in front of him had any inspiration for this spur of the moment? His betrothed's right there. Like, I'll take both of you. You know, like definitely, yeah, for sure. He, and uh, he even like mentions. I think he did. Either he did or Shalon did. He's like, uh, how was that for extravagant or something like that? Or you definitely, you know, you definitely did something. <laughs> noteworthy so right yeah i think he's definitely trying to flex a little bit you know he was puffing out his chest yeah i could take two two shard bears at once any other thoughts about 53 no thoughts 54 we get a Shalon point of view chapter who this book is about I we haven't had any any of her in this week yet but here we are and we had the, the Amarim thing but that was half Callum as well ghost blood meeting goes fairly well or at least she thinks so until they try to kill her at the end of the chapter but that's fine, yeah, that's fine. she yeah it's fine she recreates what the room looks like for the ghost bloods but she pretends like she can't reproduce the glyphs on the walls and the and the maps and the names and stuff like that but she can but she pretends like she she can't this i think shalon's getting in dangerous territory and i think shalon thinks shalon is getting into dangerous territory here as well she is she's revealing a lot about herself and i think she's she's realizing that like in the moment of she's letting loose enough details that if someone were to kind of do a compare of oh we've got this veil character and we've got this new shallan person that just showed up in town at the same time they kind of have some similar skills here. I right. I think her illusion ability is going to carry her for at least a while. I, I don't think you know that that seems so crazy and magical to this world that no one's going to you know assume. Oh, clearly she can disguise herself as other people, and that's going to take a while for people to figure out. But this is pretty this is pretty big. The fact that she has this photographic memory that she does, letting the ghost bloods learn that about her was probably not a great idea. As she's reproducing the the uh, the drawings for them, she's thinking to herself, there's five people in this tent that now know that I can reproduce their faces for anyone in the war camp. So that's probably not smart. but And it isn't smart because one of them tries to uh, kill her on the way back. But she is smart enough to know to take precaution there and avoids it. She's also smart enough not to share 
all the information she knows with them. I, I, you mentioned this, Trevor. She she reproduces the room, but not the text that she she learned. And that, I think, was definitely smart. She needs to make sure that she doesn't play all her cards. She needs to make sure that she keeps some some power in her own camp. So that was definitely a good move, I think. And it's not necessarily that she's... She's not trying to reveal all, all of her abilities, but she's also not trying to help the ghost bloods. Because if right. she if she tells the ghost bloods exactly what's in that room, she's actually just a part of the ghost bloods at that like and helping them with what they're trying to do. So she can she can gain their trust, but she doesn't have to actually like actively help them with what they're trying to do. The hiding in the rock part at the end is is interesting in that she overhears a, a kind of confusing conversation between the, the lead guy, Moraes, and someone else that she doesn't like recognize maybe the, the voice of. And so we're only getting like part of the, the conversation, but a lot of little hints are dropped and that little conversation that she overhears that don't quite make a lot of sense to us, but I think are going to be important later on. So I'm, I'm bookmarking this little section so I can come back and, and read it again later. But Moraes mentions Theta car. He mentions Restaris, Restares. I don't know how to say that name, but uh, isn't Theta car one of the uh, high princes or one of the, have we had that name before? We have had that name before, but it is not a high prince. You have heard it exactly once before. Now we have to go research that. Is he one of my knights? Read? No. No. Heralds? He is not a herald. Yeah, I can tell you where you've heard it before if you'd like. Yeah. I'll have to yes. Go. I will say yes <laughs> to this. But if Ellie doesn't want to hear, that's fine. We'll we'll talk about it later or something. It, but. It's either have Trevor tell me now or or as soon as we hit stop on the recording, go and, and research it. So it's, go for it. You've heard the name. I'm pretty, I'm fairly confident you've only heard it once before. And Amaram mentions it as he's walking into the room with Kaladin. He mentions the name Thydekar and he mentions the name Ghostbloods. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. So stuff to go in the notebook, I think at this point of, you know, I'm jotting this down of, you know, remember this. It's going to be important, but it doesn't necessarily tell us a ton right now. He, he talks a little bit else about, you know, not being worried about someone else and kind of the, yeah, who, who the, they seem to be talking about, like, who the, the players are, who the, the movers and shakers are, and we're not quite sure who they're referencing, but... I think this this little section is going to be very important later on. I can confirm it is important later on. I will say that. <laughs> so helpful. Yes, so you're helpful. welcome. Thank you, Trevor. This is why we have you here. Yep. No, I'm I'm here to laugh at you. You're here to wonder. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did that part. We've been wondering. Any other thoughts from the meeting with the Ghostbloods in Chapter 54, or the any other thoughts on the episode? I'm looking for... I'm assuming that this is going to kind of set up for the Adolin duel, and I'm curious to see how that goes. Um, I can't see him, like, dying or something, so maybe he just loses the duel and the Colons are destitute, but... Back up a um, couple episodes... You had a bold prediction that Adolin was going to die in a That's duel. True. So That's are true. you are you more or yes, less confident? I, I should stick with my previous self. He's probably smarter <laughs> than I am. So, um, yes, Adolin's going to die next next whenever these, this duel happens in so, two days. Yes, two days from now. Okay, <laughs> exactly. Unless unless he becomes a Knight's Radiant. Ah, yes. That's this one. That's this Clearly. Hole. The loophole. Yes, exactly. 
Alright. We can close it off there. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot, and we will reconvene next week. Alrighty. Bye.